Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. Father, we ask you tonight in Jesus' name to release revelation through your word that ideas would touch hearts in a deeper way. Holy Spirit, lean into you that you would be the teacher and the instructor tonight. Help us. Help us in our weakness to understand what your word says in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight's session is entitled, Addresses Made Directly to the End Time Church. And as we're in this series on the book of Revelation, we uh, have already driven home the point that the book of Revelation is written to the church, but I want to highlight a little bit more specific segment of the church Uh, not related to geography, but related to time. And that is, I want us to approach this uh, teaching tonight from the perspective that these words were most directly written to us, to the church that would experience these things, to the end time church. Now, you've heard me say before, I don't know if we're 20 years out or 50, but it's not 100 anymore. You know, it's not a few years. We've got plenty of reasons to know that it's not that quick. But it's also not 100 years away anymore. We've got plenty of reasons to know that related to the signs of the times. So when Jesus gave the book of Revelation, it's been for the church forever, just like the whole Bible is. But I want us to hear it different tonight. I want us to hear this, uh, not the teaching, not the session. I want us to hear the Bible verses as written to us specifically so that we we would process this differently. Now, one of the things I'll tell you is we're not going to cover any new material tonight. It's all review, but it's review with a very specific perspective. We're going to be approaching the subject tonight or many of the subjects that we've looked at in uh, many past sessions with the lens of Oh my goodness, this information was given to me, to us right now, to this generation. And that should have significant impact in the way that we read Revelation, process Revelation. So with that kind of as our uh, backdrop, I'll go ahead and jump in here. A generation directly benefited. Every generation has been benefited by the book of Revelation if they chose to read it, embrace it, study it. But there's been no generation that the step-by-step instructions directly applied to before. I mean, the actual, this will happen, then this will happen, you'll have to deal with this, this is gonna, you're gonna endure this, don't forget this. There's never been a generation to which those words written in a way that would be experienced firsthand has ever been applied. But we believe that we're in that generation. I look at my kids and I'm like, they are going to see every single one of these things happen. And probably us as well. But for sure the kids, they're gonna watch this stuff happen in real life. So it's the, the only generation in human history to be directly benefited by the events of the book of Revelation being told ahead of time is the final generation and we believe that we're living in it. That is a 
really profound statement when you come to terms with it. So let's kind of step through. What, do, what does that mean? What does that look like? Letter A, the ones who will see him. Look, he's coming with the clouds. There has never been a group of people on earth to whom it could be said, you will look and see him with your eyeballs in the sky. But we can say to you, look, there he is coming in the clouds. We're going to see him with our eyeballs. Nobody's ever done that before. Not in this context. This has never happened before. We're living in a generation that's going to be the look and see him in the clouds generation. That is a really wild approach. When you read the book of Revelation, it's no longer a history lesson or a myth. You're reading your future. You're reading about Tuesdays coming near you. I mean, it's like this is going to be life on the planet, your life, your kids' lives. Jesus' actual moment of response. There has never been a time where the spirit and the bride said, come, and Jesus said, yep, and showed up. It's never happened before. There is a coming actual moment where the church in sync with the Holy Spirit on a day that ends in day will say, come, and Jesus Christ will actually come. He's never done that before. We're going to be alive when the church goes, come, and it echoes, echoes into eternity, and Jesus shows up. We've, that, that has never happened before. People have been reading the Spirit and the Bride, say, come and writing songs about it and doing Bible studies and talking about it and using it as, you know, little euphemisms around on the side forever. It's never happened and it's going to and we're going to see it. We're going to see that Bible verse actually happen and not just him come, him come in response to a global prayer meeting of the church in sync with the Holy Spirit where we actually get the nudge universally, it's time to pray the come now prayer. And you know, we'll actually know when that is because we'll been, we will have been paying attention to the seals, trumpets, and bowls, and we'll know when the sixth trumpet has already happened, and we'll be paying attention, and we will be all the more fervent, because it's the last time, just think about the context here, the time frame after the sixth trumpet has been blown, and the seventh trumpet, return of Jesus, hasn't happened yet. We will be the most actively engaged in prayer that we've ever been because our window for operating in this age without a resurrected body in prayer as it works is so narrow, we've got days left. And we will be actively engaged in intercession and the Holy Spirit will speak to us and I have no doubt we'll know when we're supposed to pray the come Lord Jesus prayer. And we'll know and he'll do it. He'll show up. It's never happened before. promised information about future events we will actually witness these events the revelation 1 1 the revelation from jesus christ which god gave him to show his servants what must soon take place to show the church stuff that's going to happen we're actually going to be the people that sees the stuff that's going to happen but we're going to know our bible 
ahead of time, and we're going to be able to perceive, even predict. I mean, it's not much prediction. It's, it's guaranteed. It's a bet you can't lose. We were given the information so that we could actually stand in that day, armed with that information, able to operate out of it. There's never been a church in history that's been able to do that. Never. Now, the Word of God has been beneficial to every generation forever. Every verse has had impact, but not primary application. There's never been the primary application of this Bible verse before. But we're going to see it to show his servants what must soon take place. We will have been shown, and then we will witness those things occur. Top of page two, if you're in the notes with me. Write what you've seen, what is now, and what will take place later. More of that show you the future stuff. I've sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches so the churches could understand. It's, there's coming a time where it's no longer it's coming. The period of it's coming is over. You know, there's, there's a, a time for planning and, and longing. And then there's a time for execution. And now we're going to actually be the only ones in human history to experience the execution moments where these things unfold. You read this book very differently with this perspective. And the Bible verses take on new meaning and life and impact. The blessings that are promised if we pay attention. We're going to be the only ones in human history to actually get the benefits that are promised in the book of Revelation to those that endure the events of the book of Revelation. There's never been a group of people that's endured the events of the book of Revelation. But there's coming a group. Do you understand that the Bible, the book of Revelation was written about you? <laughs> you! And your friends and your families and was written about you. This is your book. It's unthinkable that we wouldn't know it. We must know the book of Revelation. The moment of the kingdom transfer. Let's look at this. Revelation eleven fifteen and then 12, uh, 12, 10. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. It's never happened before. But a time is coming when that will actually occur. When the transfer of the kingdom takes place. And at that point, Jesus will start reigning forever and ever. He's never reigned forever and ever before. It's always been a future will be reality and not a current. We're going to be here when he starts doing the thing that we've always expected him to do. That's, you know, forever he's been the king of kings. He just has not been proving it. Forever he's been the ruler forever and ever. He just hasn't started ruling yet. There's so much about who he is and what he'll do and what life will be that is, has always been a future promise and we're going to witness the transition. That is a very different version of your future than whatever normal American dream thought process we were living in before. 
I mean, this is a wild ride. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven. This is Revelation 12.10. Now have come the salvation and power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. Now, in that moment, in the end time drama, at the seventh trumpet, now. This is when the transition occurs. <clears throat> I just want us kind of picturing ourselves... As, a, as living out an actual story here, not studying an old book of our religion. This is your future. These are real days in your future. Well, what else does the book give us? What else do we find here in, in the book of Revelation? As it pertains to addresses that are made directly to the end time church. Now, I don't mean that these verses say, and now I am directing the end time church. It doesn't say that. But the implication is clear that these verses have always applied to everybody a little, but have only applied directly to one group of people, one generation. We're entering into it. Warnings about the hardship, not just that he's coming, not just the good stuff, but plenty of promises about difficulty. There are ordained difficulties. They're ordained. They're part of the plan. Revelation 13, 9, whoever has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone's to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. There will actually, we will actually go through the imprisonment and martyrdom stage. There's going to be a significant number of those imprisoned, captivity, or martyred, the sword. It's going to actually happen. You know, it, it makes us really process how we handle whether we stand up for Jesus in small things or not. It really makes you wonder, like, if I can't stand for Jesus in little ways, Lord, do something in me because the time is coming when I'm going to have to stand for you in some big ways, and I would love to have had a couple of dress rehearsals with some smaller issues prior. Now, we interpret the Word of God through this lens and go, my gosh, I, Lord, get me ready. And that's the point. We're supposed to be getting ready. Satan is coming to the earth, we're told. In Revelation chapter 12, 10 through 12. Let me just read it. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. But woe to the earth and sea because of the devil. He has been thrown down to you. He's filled with fury because he knows his time is short. His time is very short at that point. He's got just a very little bit of time. And it says he's filled with fury. There's actually a group of people who will actually be here when Satan is cast down to the earth and actually have to deal with the warned ramifications of his presence in fury. It's never been a group of people that had to do that. <laughs> this Bible verse has not happened yet. This is part of the end time drama. This is part of how the Antichrist is empowered because Satan is thrown to the earth to be here to give him authority. This is a really big deal. This is a time, I want you to just imagine this. This is a bit morbid, but still true. There's a day coming where the conversation you and I are going to have is, hey, 
You hear Satan? He showed up yesterday. He got cast down. You hear about that? Hear about it. I felt it. We're going to be having the conversations, not fictitious, not movie, not future. We're going to be having the conversations as those that are literally, actually on the planet. When Satan is thrown down and is raging in great fury, and his rage is mostly aimed at Christians and Jews. And we're going to be here on the earth. That's just a, I don't know if you've thought about that. It's, it's one thing to kind of imagine it far off. It's very different to imagine it at some point in your future. A day you will witness. A day your kids will witness. These are intense ideas. The book of Revelation was given so that the church might be ready might prepare for what's coming. Most specifically, the end time church that will experience the details that are in the text. We're that church. We gotta get ready. Moving on, on page three, top of page three. Church must study and prophesy. We're actually the ones that are gonna need to eat this scroll and then preach it, prophesy it understand it, proclaim it, intercede about it, that have understanding. Look what it says. This is the church at the end times. This is John getting a revelation for the church at the end times. Not only, I don't want to have to keep uh, you know, qualifying that, not only, but primarily. It says Revelation 10, 9 through 11. He said to me, Take the scroll and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it. It tasted sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I'd eaten it, my stomach turned sour. And then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. This is the end time revelation. It's, you could call the scroll the book of Revelation. Eating it. There's, there's glory to eating it. There's glory to eating the scroll, understanding, digesting, studying, connecting dots. There have been a lot of those aha moments that have happened in your little discussion groups here on Saturday nights where you've seen it go, ooh, that's, wow, Lord, you, whew, you put that together. That's incredible. It's sweet. But then as we begin to understand the ramifications, billions will die in judgments. Begin to understand the ramifications. Standing for Jesus will cost many their lives. As we begin to understand the ramifications, we go, ooh, this is, this is bitter in my stomach. And it's at the bitter point <coughs> that John is told, now you must prophesy out of that. You must prophesy out of your understanding of the difficulties not just the enjoyment of it. You now need to prophesy as one who understands it, but you can't possibly understand it unless you've just digested the heck out of that thing. It's a call to the end time church to understand the book of Revelation so that we might be able to preach and prophesy and pray. Never been a generation before us that needed this book like we will because we'll see it happen. So we've got to be those then that give ourselves to the study of it. Skipping down. Warnings to stay faithful to the end. Letter F. Multiple times in the book of Revelation we read phrases like this. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. 
the faithfulness, endurance, patience on the part of God's people is in relationship to the difficulties, we're actually the ones that are going to have to have patient endurance. It is essential that we do not neglect the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Patience. And not only that, love and joy and peace in the midst of patience. We need to uh, walk in the fruit of patience, endurance, difficulty. I'm just like, I don't like pain. I don't like enduring. I don't like being faithful. It's so much easier to just be faithless and just do whatever I currently feel like doing. That is the complete opposite of faithfulness, by the way. The follow your heart thought process is a giant lie. It's a giant way to wind up off course in every single way possible. Your heart is a liar. You need to crucify your heart. Don't do what your heart tells you to do. You'll wind up in 10 versions of hell tomorrow. But we're living in a generation that's being told, no, we've got to be those that patiently endure and are faithful in difficulty. That we're patient in the little things, in the, in the job assignments, in the circumstances we don't like, in the in the lot that was given to us that we didn't ask for. We need to learn to be patient and endure and be faithful till he comes because the word of God says the stuff you're going to have to patiently endure faithfully is going to get a whole lot harder than whatever you're currently complaining about. Whatever you think you've got as a hard lot right now, your situation is going to get upgraded. It's going to be very difficult. You need to learn how to be patient. Got to endure, and we get the opportunity to do that now in lesser circumstances. But the generation to whom this was written, this calls for patient endurance. You don't want to be imagining some pious group of future saints. It's you. You are that pious group of future saints. There's no other group. There's no superheroes coming in. There's no, the Calvary is not coming. You are it. You are the group of people to whom it was written, you must patiently endure with faithfulness through the events of the great tribulation. That is so intense. It just makes me really want to process my, my pain a little bit better. It really makes me want to go, you know, I probably need to have a writer idea, a writer perspective, a more righteous you know, lens because I want to patiently endure through all things. I sure want to be ready when the real trials come. See, the book of Revelation in verses like, be patient, endure to the end, be faithful. Verses like that were always intended for us, for this generation, to get it preached at us, for us to read it in our word ourselves, and for that very message to preach into our soul. So that this generation would be hearing that ahead of time. So he wouldn't show up in those moments and read it for the first time and go, oh, I guess I better learn to be patient and endure. That we've been looking at it and processing it for some time in the generation leading up to the moment when we need it. Moving on. Letter uh, number three, rather. Roman numeral three. Reviewing the messenger angels. I don't want to go through it. We spent a whole session talking about these three. I just want to give us a little bit of a review. There are three actual angels that are going to appear in the sky, and all three of them are going to preach. The first one more or less says, bad judgments are coming. Sorry, duck. 
The second one shows up and says, Babylon is horrible, but don't worry, she's going to get judged. Third one shows up and says, you thought Babylon was bad. The Antichrist is going to take over Babylon. Then it's going to get really bad, and a bunch of you are going to get martyred. Wow, you guys are just filled with good news. These three angels are going to show up in the sky. You're going to see them. Or at least hear the report that others did. The, the revelation messenger angels showed up in the sky. Yeah, they were really loud. <laughs> like they said exactly what they said they were going to say. In fact, we heard it in our own language. I'm ad-libbing, but probably not. These angels are going to show up in the sky and they're going to declare this. This message of these messenger angels, judgment is coming, so is the harlot Babylon, so is the Antichrist. These three messages are going to get preached by angels, and it's going to be astounding to those that aren't paying attention. It's going to be the oldest news imaginable for those who have been paying attention. Old news. We were just waiting for you guys. Glad you finally came to the party. We've been living in these realities for much longer because we were warned by Jesus through the book of Revelation to pay attention to these messages long before these angels show up and say them in the sky. You're going to be alive when the angels freak out the planet and tell the planet these three things. But the information will not be news to you. This is really going to happen on a real day. Moving on. So what about Babylon? Babylon. Lots of information. Lots of information about Babylon. I just want to focus on a few key points. One, there's an actual day in the future where the city of Babylon, which hasn't been built yet, <coughs> where the city of Babylon will be burned and will all witnesses, it'll be on the news. Babylon is burning. The whole thing just burned to the ground. And the world will be reeling and we will be, have an, been anticipating that day, waiting for it, because our Bible says, when the Bible says, and Babylon was set on fire, and she's being burnt you know, down, and Babylon's being set on fire, and Babylon's being destroyed, that information is primarily to the church that's going to be alive in the generation when those things are going to happen. It's always been a source of encouragement in the general sense of good prevailing over evil in the name of Jesus. But it's going to be real-time data to the church that's alive when the city of Babylon is being burnt to the ground. It will be unthinkable. Warning to the church to come out of Babylon. I think it's probably one of the most important messages in Revelation. I think it's one of the most important messages in Revelation... The following, then I heard another voice from heaven in regards to Babylon. Come out of her, my people, so that you'll not share in her sins and you'll not receive any of her plagues. It's a twofold warning. It says, come out of her so that two things happen. It's really one thing with a cause and effect relationship. Come out of her because if you are in her midst, if you are... In her and of her, instead of in the world but not of it, if you are in the world and of it, if you are in Babylon, which you will not be able to uh, get out, very few people will have the luxury of escaping the total influence of Babylon at the end of the age. It will be nearly impossible, if not impossible. But you can be in it and not of it. 
but there'll be too many that dabble of it. They, they think like Babylon thinks. They, their, their ideas about morality, their ideas about sexuality, their ideas about greed, their ideas about many, many evil things will be too much in alignment with the ways, the teaching, and the pulse of the heart of Babylon at the end of the age. And the angel is warning us, come out of her so that you'll not share in her sins. Oh yeah, by the way, if you share in her sins, you'll share in her plagues. And the plagues come from God. It says, don't share in her sins, you won't share in her plagues. Come out of her. I think it's one of the most important messages in the book of Revelation because the end time church, there's never been a church to whom it applied directly than the end time church. The church, not the lost world, the lost world isn't going to be reading Revelation. The lost world isn't going to be having ears to hear. The book of Revelation was given so that the church might know what must soon take place. Not so that the lost world might know. So pay attention to this. The church at the end of the age, there's never been a church that's been told before, real time, come out of Babylon, stop being like her. Stop thinking like her. Stop giving your mind over to the way that she thinks, to the lies that she offers, to the adulteries which she is all about. Stop it. Come out of her. And if you don't, you will share in her plagues. There's never been a generation of whom that could be said because there's never been a generation in which the heart of Babylon was ruling the planet. We're heading into that hour. You can see it now. Do not share in her sins. Come out of her. That is a really big word. It's one that we're going to need to have resounding in us, echoing in us. You want to be asking yourself the question, these things that I'm giving my time and my mind and my, my energy and the things that I'm saying yes to, the things that I'm agreeing with, am I accidentally giving in to the spirit of the age? Am I accidentally identifying with my support of the harlot Babylon? We want to be asking ourselves these questions because the church at the end of the age is told, come out of her as though it was a statement that needed to be made because so many were in her. Come out of her. Warning of martyrdom that comes next related to Babylon and it's mostly because people decided to come out of her. <laughs> so, Come out of her so you don't share in her sins and share in her plagues. Oh, yeah, by the way, if you come out of her, she's going to get really mad at you and kill you. Wow. These are, this is going to require patient endurance on the part of the saints. 1824. Uh, in her was found the blood of the prophets and of God's holy people, all who have been slaughtered in the earth. Revelation 19.2, speaking in the same situation. And God, he has avenged on her the blood of his servants because there's so much blood of his servants. And the her in this context is Babylon at the end of the age because the servants of God will come out of her and she will not appreciate that. I think right now we are getting a really helpful perspective with the concept of the cancel culture idea. We are getting a very great dry run concept. If you say stuff we don't like, we're going to pretend you're not a human and anything you say doesn't matter anymore and we're going to remove you from any ability for you to continue to speak in a way that people could hear you. We're going to remove you from your platform or remove you from your uh, you know, prominence, whatever that is, whatever that looks like. 
there, this concept, I mean, just the concept is intriguing. <laughs> really, if you don't just, if you, if you remove the emotion from it for just a second, the idea that someone could say something, good or bad, true or totally dumb, and then the planet could go, we have chosen to ex exclude you from the rest of the narrative. You're gone. You don't exist anymore. Huh? What? what? How does that? That's a crazy idea. And it's an idea that is giving lots of traction in it. Yeah, that's right. Cancel them. Cut them out. They said something stupid. They're done. That is just, wow. That's, that is a really escalated idea. Well, it's just the beginning. It's good that we kind of navigate it a little bit now. We figure out how to handle that. Because what's coming is worse than our social media account getting canceled, it's our physical life. No, you said this, we're gonna actually cancel you. You are actually gonna be canceled, for real. The big C. That's what's coming for those that come out of her and make any sort of a stand against all that Babylon's gonna stand for, and it's only growing. Final conflict, so we just talked about Babylon, now we're talking about Antichrist. There is an actual war coming that we're going to fight in. I don't care what you think about war. You're going to fight in one. No, I don't like war. That doesn't matter. Jesus is going to arm you himself, and you are going to be part of war. Oh, my gosh. Did you think about that as part of your future? Well, I was thinking about retirement. You know, am I going to have enough for my Social Security? Or Yeah. Okay, great. Also, you're going to fight in a war. At least one. And Jesus is going to be the one calling you into this one because it says that the Antichrist and his armies are going to declare war. They're going to wage war. Scripture says on multiple occasions, wage war against the lamb and his armies. Wage war. Your future includes a war. I just doubt too many of us were thinking seriously about that. We're like, no, I'm trying to, you know, get a better job and you know, trying to move up a little bit economically and take care of my family. Good, do all that. Also, you're going to fight in a war. Wow. See, when you read the book of Revelation from the lens, this book was written to me because I'm going to be alive when these things unfold. You start to process life a little bit differently. There is an actual war coming, and we're going to actually see the Antichrist rise. It's going to be one of the most intriguing things. Because we're going to know who he is three and a half years before everybody else does. There's some things that he's going to do that's going to make it really obvious to the church that's just reading their Bible. You don't have to, you won't even need one bit of prophetic understanding. All you need to do is believe the Bible. He's going to do one, two, three, four. And we're going to go, that's the guy. And the whole world is going to go, that's the guy we love. That guy is not your guy. That guy is not the Antichrist. This guy is the hero. Yeah, exactly. That's what the Bible said, you'd say. No, no, for real, we love this guy. Now, you're deceived. That's the Antichrist. We're going to know three and a half years before anybody else does. We're going to watch it happen. I don't mean hear about it later. I don't mean, you know, some later generation... He's probably alive right now. Or if not, he'll be born soon. Think about that. Little baby AC. Just walking around pooping his diapers. He's going to grow up to be the Antichrist. He's a person. 
He's probably alive right now or soon will be. That is crazy. We're going to watch it happen. We're going to watch all the talking heads on TV. Oh, and so-and-so, and he's, you know, posturing to be able to make an uh, impact in the Middle East. And all oh, this, you know, regional leader, you know, he's been, you know, given these awards and this, that, and the other. And, and, and we really think he's got a good chance to help. We're going to watch the thing unfold. And then he's, he, it's no longer going to be, is it that guy or that guy or that guy? We're going to, we're going to, oh, it's that guy. Whoa. He just signed a seven-year peace treaty with Israel in the Middle East. Wow. And we're going to know. We're going to watch it happen on television. Or whatever TV looks like in a decade or two or whenever. We're going to watch it. Not it's a future thing. We're going to watch the Bible unfold. That's crazy. Ten nations declare war against Jesus. We're going to watch the Antichrist early on lure in ten nations that are going to have his back, his support from the start. In this modern context, even if no more craziness came out of that, if you had one guy in charge of the armies of ten nations and they were actively acting on it right away, that is a profound shift in, human, in the human story. If one guy had 10 nations and those armies were actively, I don't mean he's threatening. I've got 10 nations. I mean, actively those nations are working towards his agenda on his behalf and war is happening with one guy in charge of 10 nations. That is a really powerful, crazy thing. We're going to watch it happen. And so-and-so with his 10 armies just invaded such and such country. We're going to actually watch that happen. And a new global system will be implemented. No longer are we going to be reading Revelation 13 and talking about the mark of the beast and this stuff as a future crazy idea that we can't picture. We're going to be actually looking at the tactile uh, 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 application of those ideas in real culture, with real technology, in real time. The actual starting of a global network where the mark of the beast system is part of the whole buy and sell and trade thing. It's not going to be a, a proverb anymore. Of, you know, what's the you know, mark of the beast? What's the 666? What is it? We're going to watch it happen and have to figure out, okay, so how do we eat tomorrow? I hope somebody's been working on that signs and wonders multiplication of bread thing. We're going to need some really crazy answers to these problems. This is not a cute idea for a future generation. This is us. We need to be readying for these things. The martyrdom is going to be a very real part of this struggle. There are going to be many, many martyred. There'll be some, issue, there'll be some differences geographically. Certain places will experience it differently than other places. But martyrdom is going to be very much part of the dialogue for Christianity across the earth. Jesus is going to come and declare war with us at his side. It's the part I was talking about, the war coming. And we're actually going to get victory over the Antichrist, which will look like an absolute impossibility because of the level of his strength. Because of the level of his intrigue, the level of his cunning, the level of his power, his demonic authority. It will be unbelievable that anybody could actually stand against him, and we will, with Jesus, and prevail. He'll be defeated. 
We're going to witness these things. We're going to do these things. Friends, whatever you thought your life was about, it's a lot less about that and a lot more about this. No, I needed to, I wanted to, I was told, I want, the, no, no, me, my, I, me, my, I, my, kill it. You're part of the end time church. You have a responsibility that is different than every generation before you. You're different. Your desires matter far less. <laughs> you are part of the church that's going to experience the book of Revelation. It's time that we live that way. We have got to be thinking this way, grappling this way. We've got to start making sense of the things that are going to help us get more clarity about this. And we've got to start diminishing other lovers. We have got to start getting perspective. We are the church that's going to actually walk through this mess. And we've been given the, the study guide. We've been given the cheat sheet. We've been given every question to the test before the test. We were given the test. The whole thing, which does you absolutely no good if you don't look at it. So you can have been given by the test writer who can't wait for you to pass the test with 100. Here is the test, line upon line. Here's how it's going to go. We have got to give ourselves to the understanding of this book so that we can then be those who eat the scroll and prophesy. Right, I'm going to skip that last section. Let's break up into groups. Do a little bit of Q and a, or a discussion. Luke, how many groups we got tonight? Four groups of six to seven. Four groups of six to seven. Okay, if you're a group leader, hand in the air. And he'll be in the back. Uh, Luke Fredenberg, can I get you to come over here? Or, yeah, Luke Cooper, you'll come. Fredenberg, stay. Luke Cooper's coming over here. Uh, one, two, three, and who's the fourth? Caitlin, can I get you to come this way a little bit? Okay, great. Uh, break up into groups of six or seven. We'll uh, come back for uh, some Q&A here after some discussion. We're going to go into our time of group uh, question and answer. I'll repeat the questions so that we've got them recorded for various purposes. Uh, why don't we start uh, over here with you guys? All right, so the question is, the word that the Lord gave me back in 2005 was start a daily prayer meeting tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. and don't stop until I come back. So we started those prayer meetings. The next day we did our part. <clears throat> here we are 16 years later. Let's pretend we got another 20 years, whatever the number. I don't have any idea how many years. Uh, question is, the prophetic word that the Lord gave us, doesn't that require that at least some of us don't get martyred so that we can keep the prayer meetings going? Subjective prophecy, I'd say yes, but I would bank even more on Luke 18. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And the faith that he just got done talking about in Luke 18 is night and day prayer meetings. And so the, the assumed uh, assumption is... Jesus is really, really, really after 24-7 prayer meetings when he comes back. And so then with that as a little bit of a, uh, just a back uh, uh, splash of the scenario, let's also then talk about the concept of cities of refuge. So if you've got a night and day prayer furnace, I I'm going to say it this way. The more things you can have check marked on your checklist, the better positioned you are. I'm not going to throw out any guarantees of anything, but I'm going to say the more things you've got checklisted, the better off you are. Let's say you're a part of a community that believes in, you know, I even heard raising the dead. 
You're part of a community that's pressing in in faith, operating in signs and wonders, and has seen some dead people raised from the dead. Well, that's probably one more feather in your cap that somebody's going to be around because people keep getting raised from the dead when they get dieted, you know? So how many times have you been out? 16 times, man. <laughs> it's a sweet community. Sweet. Part of a night and day prayer furnace. Okay, Luke 18. Part of this night and day prayer furnace. Subjective prophetic word that the Lord gave me. Start daily prayer meeting tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. Uh, I mean, I think the more things that you can, you can check, Mark, the better scenario you've got. Uh, you know, the divine purposes that the Lord has for America, I think, are unique in the earth. I think the Lord is going to do things through America that are different. That's part of the reason we continue to contend the way that we do. I don't think it's the only nation that's going to be used in powerful ways, but I think the Lord has divine purposes for America that are going to be seen all the way to the end. Maybe not uh, governmentally, but certain pieces and parts. And So you just keep lining up the, well, you got this, 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 on your side. Uh, I think that all of those... Um, uh, are, are significant contributing factors to the percentage of uh, not dyingness um, in the midst of martyrdom. Now, even with all that, no guarantees to any individual or even any individual community um, because the Lord has got ways he does things that we know not of. Uh, but I'll tell you, part of the reason I'm glad y'all are here is because you're helping me check some boxes. And so, you know, I'd, I'd kind of like to see us see this thing through. So, I mean, if I got to check out, I will, but I think it'd be more fun to get raptured. So that's what I'm hoping for. So great question. Uh, okay, let's go here. So what are some ideas of helping our loved ones, friends, family to understand the urgency, to feel it, those that don't already? Um, you know, I think this is, this is the ache that all of us carry. And if I can just be really honest... I think we need to wrestle with how unanointed we are. I think we need to let that be really painful so we can go get anointed. And I'm talking to me. I mean, I might be able to make theological sense to a person that doesn't care about theology. So what good is that? But do I carry the weight of glory on me when I speak so that when I'm talking to my friend, the Holy Spirit is actually touching their soul? so that more is happening than my theological clarity <laughs> or lack thereof. I'd rather us, I mean, I want us to have theological understanding, but we need anointing. So I think for all of us, we need to go on the twofold hunt. One is understanding and two is weight. The weight of our words. I mean, we just, we're going to need that. We're going to need the weight of our words. And so uh, I would suggest going and failing and feeling how bad that feels. And then learn from how bad that felt and how ineffective you were. Or if you were effective, come share with us and more importantly, lay hands on me. Um, but if, you know, go, go experience that. Try and figure out how you're fumbling over your words and you don't have answers to the questions and then go get answers to those questions. Try again. But in the middle of all that, be praying, oh God, please. I mean, I'll just tell you, I mean, candidly, I pray before I preach every time, and it's not for you. I mean, it's, I, I'm really praying, oh, God, please. I don't want to waste God's people's time. Please do things in the room that's bigger than me saying some verses and sharing some ideas. God, you've got 
you got to touch people so that something spiritual happens because nothing spiritual is going to happen just because I came up here with a microphone and said words. So I want to tell you the reason I pray that I'm, I'm really actually praying. Like it's not a transition for me. It's not a, like a, Oh, I need to calm the room down. Like I'm thinking, Oh God, really please touch these people. And I share that with you as a weak person with a weak reach. It's a way that you can approach this. And that is being prayerful. Oh God, anoint my weak words. Help me help this conversation, help things in their life. I'll I'll say your greatest ally is probably intercession, both for your own ability and even for their own soil of of the soul that you could soften that soil through intercession so that the person that doesn't want to hear what you have to say would have some sort of something happen in their life that now they would be open to same old unanointed you. So there's a lot of ways that the Lord can approach you, but I, I actually think us trying and failing is a very significant part of the process so that we can feel the pinch of that and realize really how far off we are from being able to help our friend. And then going, oh, Jesus, get up and give me bread so I got something to put before my friend. So, excellent question. Um, yeah. I'll give a couple. Uh, the question was, um, I'm speaking pretty matter-of-fact, very boldly, that I believe we're living in the last generation. And that's a statement that you shouldn't just say if you can't back it up. And so Luke's like, okay, well, give us just a couple of pieces on that, which we've done in other settings, but I'm happy to do now. Uh, In my opinion, the greatest sign of the time is the end-time prayer movement that's happening right now. It's not the only. I think it's the least perceived, but I think it's actually the greatest sign of the time because the word makes it really clear before Jesus comes back, there's going to be a global prayer movement aiming towards night and day prayer. And that's never happened before, not globally, not a lot of things. There's, there are things happening right now that you do have to be a little bit informed. It's that whole watch and pray. The watch part does take a little bit of investigation. But there are some things that are happening right now that are unprecedented by a 1,000 or 10,000 fold. I mean, it, unbelievable things are occurring in the earth right now related to night and day prayer. And you can't just make that happen. It's not just a good idea. It's kind of like the worst idea. It's the hardest thing. So for that to be a God thing happening all over the planet and people thinking that it's a good idea and jumping in and actually doing it and actually sustaining it, I don't mean a trend that came and went in a week. I mean one that's growing. That to me is the single greatest in my personal opinion. Um, But then you've also got the ones that Jesus referred to as the beginning of sorrows or the beginning of birth pangs that we've got... It takes a little bit more time to prove this one or or develop it, but you've got a number of those that we've been experiencing in a significant uptick in in an unprecedented way, historic, from a historic standpoint, in a global way, which is what the verses require, because it's the global body of Christ that will be perceiving them, not the body of Christ in one little town in one country. It's the global church that has to perceive these signs, or they aren't signs. Uh, and so there's a number of the ones that Jesus listed in, um, uh, in the Synoptic Gospels that we've been watching our ministry, we've been paying attention to for a dozen years or more. I mean, we've been watching those things and going, whoa, those are really unfolding. So um, great question. And I think that's actually another one of those points that if you yourself, one, if you're not real sure where we are on the timeline, 
and you hear me say statements like the ones I'm making, I think for you, you have a responsibility to go figure out where you stand on these things. And for you to do some digging and do some research, don't just go, well, I'll just believe it because that's what the group be- believes. What if we're idiots? <laughs> Poo on you. Like, that's bad for you if you just went with the crowd. You know, or or what, if we're, what if we're totally right? It doesn't really do you the good in your soul to have just kind of tapped your feet with the beat. Like, it, it's you need to know. And so I want to encourage you to to get understanding. The book of Revelation and even this book of Revelation study, it's actually intended to be provoking that we would go and get this stuff and understand it ourselves, that we become familiar enough with it that we can then go and investigate with a little bit of like knowing where we're going. You know, it's kind of hard without any roadmap whatsoever. So hopefully this is just giving you a roadmap to dig deeper and go figure these things out. So I want to encourage you, understand the signs of the times, uh, dig in the word yourself, and don't ever believe anything any preacher says ever if you don't see it in the word of God. But if you hear somebody say something, don't disbelieve it just because you don't like them or they said it dumb. Go to the Word. And if what they say is what the Word says, well, then it was God. And if what they say isn't what the Word says, but you had to go look to figure that out, you can't just dismiss it because you didn't like the messenger or because it didn't agree with what you heard in Sunday school when you were five. None of that matters. Is it what the Word says and you yourself must know? And the only way you can do that is for if you yourself show yourself approved. You got to get in the Word and see if the ideas that you hear on the radio from me, from whoever, if they're actually in the Bible. That's your only safeguard. Because what if you're surrounded by idiots? And you're just doing whatever they do, believing whatever they believe. That ain't going to work. So you need to know from the Word. All right. Was the question specific to for that long with the duration? Yeah. That was kind of the... How, how do we foster our hearts for the next? <laughs> okay, yeah. All right, so I'm just going to focus on that aspect of the question. So, you know, I'm saying maybe it's 20 years, maybe it's 50, I don't know. I, I mean, we've got enough information to know it's not seven, okay? We know at least it's more than seven, all right? Um, and a couple more things that we know have to happen first. So, uh, but if it's, you know... 20 years out or 30 or 150, how do we live with sustained urgency for that long? Because the word urgency is a a bit intense. It's a bit of like hyper aware, you know, it's kind of a, it's tough on the nerves (laughs) to live with urgency, you know, look out a bus, look out a bus, look out a bus. It's kind of hard to live that way indefinitely. And so, uh, so How do we live that way? I say the first thing is we start to ask the Lord that question. And two, we try. Once again, try and fail. Don't not try. Don't not fail. Try and fail. Like, I'll tell you this. uh, I don't know that we're doing it perfectly by any means, but I think we'd get a mostly thumbs up from the Lord that this community has been trying to live in that urgency for well over a decade and we watched a decade not bring the second coming of Jesus. Okay, so there's some people around here who've been grappling with this idea of I want to live urgently. I want to live in, the, in this like this is real, but I also have to make <clears throat> decisions today and tomorrow that are going to be... It, it, at, at odds with my eschatology 
if, uh, if uh, the timing is really, you know, super close. You know, it's like, if, if the Antichrist is going to take off his mask tomorrow, it's not a time to go get a new job. Like, that's not, like, who cares about the job? The world is coming to its demise. I mean, so, so the question being, just kind of getting back to it, how do we, what are some practicals of living urgent, urgently? One, I would ask yourself the question, is this on my radar at all? Two, if it is, to what degree? As time goes on, ask yourself the question again and go, is it still on my radar like it was or is it less? Is this something I'm still thinking about, still praying into, still making life decisions with this as a factor, not the only factor. You know, I still go to the grocery store and buy stuff. I mean, there's, there are times coming where there, your decisions are going to be made differently. So you want to start asking yourself the question, you know, what do I do? How do I hold my heart this way? And just as, a, as the most practical, simple point, if it's not in your study life and it's not in your prayer life, it's not really in your priority list. It's not in your, you're not thinking about it. I don't mean you study it every day, but I do mean you're not going, a, a, you know, months without a thought process of it, or, or certainly not a year without some intense effort. I mean, you're giving attention to it. it. Again, it doesn't have to be the only thing you're doing, but it can't mean nothing that you're doing, nothing that you're praying about. And so my answer to it is join some prayer meetings where you can give some thought and attention to that, both in intercession and in study. Be a part of some groups like this in various ways where you're kind of forced to talk about it, think about it, and then take the information seriously and actually dialogue with the Lord about it so that it's not just the Bible study that was neat that I attended. It was information that I was thinking back to the Lord and going, help me to process the news through this information. Help me to process how now shall I live through this information. And so uh, the shortest answer, pay attention and keep paying attention. That's how you keep the urgency because without that, there is no hope that it's going to be in your dialogue with God or man at all. And so it's something you want to keep it. You want to keep that before you. And uh, amen. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.